God speaks to us in his word in Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning. Everybody good? Welcome to the post-Thanksgiving first week of Advent. A lot of you guys are probably still got some of that tryptophan in your in your system from the turkey ready to take a nap but hey if you're a guest in the room uh, this room's going to look a lot different if you come back just by the way um, over the next few weeks uh, we've got a lot still out um, a lot of college students a lot of people that are gone and traveling for those of you who came back man we really are blessed that you would spend your your Sunday with us if you have any questions about the church at all we would love uh, to try and answer those and if I haven't met you yet my name is Ben I'm the lead pastor here and along, uh, an elder along with uh, Pat Robinson and one of multiple leaders in this church. All right, I've got two things I want to talk with you about uh, before we jump into today's scripture. Um, <clears throat> within the life of the church, there are some things that we do as a church uh, that are going to be geared towards specific people, and there are some things that are church-wide. I want to talk to you about one of each today. Next Sunday, we are having a singleness, dating, and the gospel Um, conversation, if you will, at 7 p.m. December the 4th at Comma Coffee Shop. If you are single in the room, um, if you are single and dating, or if you're single and not dating, um, or if you're married in the room and single people to you seem like they came from another planet, you don't understand them or whatever, but you want to understand them, if that's you at all in this room, I want to invite you to that. I don't know if it's going to be ground, uh, groundbreaking. I don't know if it's going to be earth-shattering, going to change your, your whole life. Uh, but my hope is that we can open the Bible together and talk about what it means to pursue Jesus as a single person or someone who's dating. Uh, because it's all the same. When you're married or single, the pursuit of Jesus is the same. Pursue him in everything you do. And so we're going to talk about that. Next Sunday night, 7 p.m., we'll have free coffee, and then the coffee bar will be open for you to purchase drinks, and we'll have snacks as well. So again, married people, don't check out. Invite your friends. Come if you want, Uh, but also if you're single or dating in this room, man, we don't, look, a lot of you guys that are students, you know that there are several that should be at that that aren't here today, so start spreading the word, okay? So that's December 4th, 7 p.m. at Comma, singleness, dating, and the gospel. And the other thing, this is church-wide. The Bible uh, tells us that we should pray, and multiple times um, it commands us to pray, and it's actually one of the most important things we can do as a church. It kind of blows my mind. Two things about prayer. One, how often the things we pray for in this church come true. We pray for a lot of things over the last several years in this church. They come true. That blows my mind, which it shouldn't. I shouldn't be shocked. The other thing that blows my mind is even though the first one happens, I still don't pray enough. You ever experienced that in your life? We don't pray enough. So as a church, as a whole church, this next week, we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting. We've got these bookmarks for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We want to invite you to take a bookmark. They're on the tables as you leave. And just pray. Just pray with the church in unity. We'll be here at noon every day praying together with guided prayer. You can come to that if you want. We would love to see you. But maybe just fast, maybe just give up lunch every day and pray morning, noon, and night. 
And then all of that will culminate in a worship night together at Frontline Church in Oklahoma City. We are one of many. There's a Frontline Church in downtown Oklahoma City. On Thursday night, we're going to worship together to sort of culminate the week of prayer. Can we do that together? If you agree, say amen. Amen. All right, grab these on your way out. Let's be a praying church. Okay, thanks for listening to those two announcements. I'm going to pray for you guys. You guys pray for me, and then we'll jump into Advent week one. God, we do ask for your presence and your power. Lord, I thank you for the gift of family. We thank you for the gift of thanksgiving. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would make us a truly grateful people, that we would be truly thankful, that our thankfulness wouldn't just be centered around a holiday or holidays, but that we would grow in our gratitude. And I pray for all the people in the room, Lord. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that there would be a current of your presence really opening us up to the gospel. Help us be changed uh, when we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is the first week of Advent, and the first time I'd heard the word Advent I was probably about 15 years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I remember somebody telling me, yes, yeah, the Advent season, and I'd be like, no, it's the Christmas season. No, it's the Advent season. Well, well tell me what you mean. I mean, is that like, is that something you just made up? Is that something the church just made up? And the first time I heard it was, I needed to explain to me, Advent as a season that culminates with Christmas. To me, growing up, Christmas was a night. You got Christmas Eve. That's one time I got gifts. Parents, extended family, grandparents, Christmas morning, just the family together. That was another time I got gifts. And then there'd be one or two other times that I probably would get gifts if I was at school or if I went to extended family or whatever, that to me is like, don't tell me that's not Christmas. That's Christmas every year, whether you like it or not. So don't come in here with this Advent stuff. I'd heard it first 15 years ago. And maybe some of you are hearing it for the first time today. What is Advent? What does it mean? If you're familiar with Advent, then what it means to you is just the run-up to Christmas. It means got to start shopping, got to start planning, got to start inviting, got to start getting ready to get my own gifts, got to start getting ready for the hustle and the anxiety of Christmas. That's what Advent does for a lot of us. And some of us are just grateful for that because Christmas is so anxious, there's so much of a hustle that we actually need four weeks to just get our mind and our heart and our wallets right to even get ready for this season. Advent, the term originally is Adventus, and it means simply this, simply translated, means coming. And for us, it's true, it's right, it's good for us to celebrate the coming of God as a baby. That's called the incarnation. It means this, became flesh. And John tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is what the incarnation is. God himself becoming flesh, being born in Bethlehem as a baby in a manger. But it's more than that. Throughout history, throughout church history, it mostly has been seen as the observance of not just one of the comings of God, but two. Him coming as a baby, and then the promise that he will come again. Jesus was truly born. He truly was. Christmas is worth celebrating that fact It is a miracle of all miracles that God 
himself was born as a baby. One author put it this way, said, while he was being fed, he was simultaneously upholding the universe by the word of his power. Amazing to think about Jesus in that way. Advent, though, is not just the celebration and looking towards that time. It's also looking towards him coming again. Because here's the fact. The fact is this. Christmas is anxious for everybody. Anybody ever sing joy to the world? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you here love that song? I love that song. I love it. Every time I'm singing, I'm like, yes, joy to the world. What is wrong with me? (laughs) Joy to the whole world. There's something wrong with me. Apparently, if the whole world, when they think about Jesus coming in Christmas, they just is joy everywhere all the time. Well, then there must be something wrong with me. And then as the older I got, the more people I became friends with, I started to realize I'm not the only one who doesn't experience joy all the time, or especially maybe even joy in this season. Christmas actually is one of the most depressed and anxious seasons for humans all over the world, but especially in America. Why is that? Why? Why is Christmas so hard? Why why do we sing joy to the world but don't feel it? What's happening? Did you know that that song was actually not written for Christmas at all? That song was written for the second coming of Christ. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. How about this? Far as the curse is found. I love that song. Far as the curse is found, there's still curse. I sing that song and I'm like, that sounds good, but I, do we really get the peace of Jesus far as the curse is found? The song was written about the second coming. Advent itself, Advent itself is about the two comings of Christ his incarnation, and his second coming. Karl Barth says it this way, what other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? We live in the tension of, as a people of God, of rejoicing over the fact that he's come, but also living in this world where it's just painful and sometimes depressed and we can't keep up with it and knowing, man, he's gonna come again. And when he does, he will make all things right and all things new. He will restore The tension for the Christian all the time is this, looking back to Jesus, looking forward to his coming again and living in a season of continual advent, waiting, eager, anticipating Jesus. Advent simply is seen as waiting with eagerness for the coming of Christ. So over the next four weeks through this season of advent, we're gonna treat it like real advent. We're gonna look at what does it mean for Christ to come, for us to look towards the second coming of Christ. We're gonna look at things biblically like the return of Christ, which is today. Advent as a whole, what it means for today. We're also gonna look at 
final judgment. We're also going to look at things like us being raised from the dead and what the Bible says about the way the earth will be restored, new heavens and new earth. We're going to do all of that in light of the incarnation of Christ. All right. I've said enough about it. It's time to jump into Advent and what does it mean for us. So point one is this, out of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, Advent is first and foremost looking back. It's looking back. Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is at the center of all history. For the Christian, it is the point of existence. The fact is, there is no Christianity without the cross. Advent starts with us looking back at what Jesus has done. Again, it starts with the incarnation, God becoming flesh. It is proof that God is not distant. It is also proof that God is not apathetic towards us. God himself born in a total dump, a manger in Bethlehem. One author said it would have been the equivalent of a 24-hour gas station somewhere in a small town. I grew up with those. Under persecution from the time that he was born, God became flesh. He had to be developed. God himself had to be potty trained. God became flesh. The Bible says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, imagine having to be fed and upholding the universe at the same time. God himself was a baby that went through a birthing process that he imagined. That's humility. God became flesh. He learned to trade. He learned to work with his hands. The same God that wrote in the Bible, work heartily as unto the Lord. The same God that said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. That God himself, it's appropriate for him to write that because he did that. He was a carpenter. He had to learn a trade. We didn't know anything about Jesus until he turned 30 years old. He just was working. And I just imagine the same God that said, work heartily as unto the Lord. I imagine the kind of stuff, the kind of things that were being created and sent out of the carpenter shop in Nazareth was probably pretty stellar. He worked a job. He worked with his hands. He became flesh. Then he lived a sinless, perfect life. 33 years on earth and finally went to the cross. We look back at his incarnation and we say, God is, was, and is currently a man. He still is glorified today as a human being and will forever be that. He chose to do that. That will never change. Advent is looking back first. It's getting re-centered on what Jesus has done for us. And then he went to the cross. It's looking back at the cross, proof that God loves us and will do whatever it takes for us. God was born in a dump. He was also murdered in one as well. God became flesh, was under persecution his whole life. He was betrayed. His friends betrayed him as Family betrayed him. His body was completely, listen to me, this is not hyperbolic. His body was destroyed. Jesus would have been unrecognizable. Completely torn to shreds. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just giving you reality. That is real. 
God became flesh, and his flesh was torn in two. He was brutalized to the point of disgust. The Roman cross was the worst torture device ever invented. It was meant to be humiliating. He up, listen to this, man. I mean, just think about the reality of this, please. And let's treat it like it really happened. God, Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit, God, three in one, spoke light into existence. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit, knelt down in the dust and formed mankind out of the dirt. And then later subjected himself to being torn to shreds by mankind. We have to look back. It recenters us. It helps us go, my goodness, what has he done for me? He set his face like flint towards the cross. I mean, that's what he did. Advance, looking back, he was born a man. He died a man. His heart stopped. Blood flow stopped. Brain activity stopped. Dead. It worked. It worked. It killed him. Then, it's not just looking back at the cross. It's also looking back at the fact that he rose again. The Bible says that he was resurrected because of the work that he had done, because he lived a sinless life. On our behalf, God the Father raised him up and seated him in heavenly places. And now, because of the work that he's done, because of what the Father has done to him, it's given him the name above every name. And at his name, whether you want to or not, whether you believe it or not, at his name, every single knee in here, yours, mine, the person next to you, the people that have died thousands of years ago, the ones who will die, every single person who has ever lived, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord because of the work that he's done. The resurrection really matters. It really matters. We have to look back at it. Curtain separating man from God, the holy of holies. If you know the story, the temple had one room where called the mercy seat, it was where God's presence sat. And one time a year, one priest would go into the room and it had to be the high priest, the chief priest. It had to be that guy. He would go into the room. They would tie a rope around him because of the holiness of Almighty God. They would tie a rope around him as he went into this room past the curtain. And they would lead him in there. And the reason they had a rope around him is because the holiness of God was so outstanding the Shekinah glory of God was so magnificent, so terrifying, that even one mistake, one ounce of sin at all, one mistake at all could not be in his presence. So when a priest would go in there, they would tie the rope around him, and he would, if he messed up, they'd have to pull him out, dead. The holiness of God. There was a curtain that separated man from God. You know what happened to the curtain when Jesus died? The curtain was split right down the middle. It was God saying, sacrifice is sufficient. There is no more separation between me and you. And now the Bible says that we approach the throne of God 
with confidence. God has become accessible because of Jesus. The resurrection is proof of it. It's proof of it. It's the moment that proves who we are in Christ means this. Jesus died once and for all, and through him we live. So that means that you will, if you are a Christian, it's proof that you will only die once. And there will be eternal life after that. Advent, listen to me. And maybe what you feel right now, maybe already God's starting to work on you to go, wait wait a minute. And I hope this is true. When you look at what Jesus has done, you go, why am I so anxious about the things that I think that I deserve? that I don't get? Why am I constantly, why am I eat up? Why am I constantly just overwhelmed at the stuff that I think that I deserve, but I don't get? Why am I selfish in this way? When you look at the cross, when you look at the reality of what Jesus has done, and if you believe it even a little bit, man, it just changes your perspective. You become more grateful, more joyful, more blessed, more Kind. Advent is looking back, but it's also, it's looking towards. We live in the tension of the reality of that Christ has come, but he will come again. He has inaugurated his kingdom. He has brought his kingdom as himself in a manger. But it's already happened, but it's still not yet. There is a reality that he will come back again and fully restore things. Right now, we live in the tension of that moment. He will come again. He will restore all things and wipe every tear from our eye. New heavens and new earth. Verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's why he came once, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Eagerly are waiting. Advent simply means this, to eagerly wait, to wait with anticipation. It's a hard concept to fathom today, waiting at all. We are not very good at it. I'm preaching to myself. Patience being a virtue is hard, man. We are impulsive. We want it right now, right away. We love microwaves. We like for things to be hot and fast. (laughs) Patience doesn't seem like a virtue at all. We don't like to wait at all. Our impatience and our impulses have turned waiting into a villain. But throughout the Bible, the people of God have been promised several things, redemption, Messiah, his coming again. And one thing that is a requirement for all of them, you and me included, is that they wait. Jesus said no man knows the time or the hour, the day or the hour. It is a virtue, patience. We wait. We have to. We're forced to because we learn so much and we do so much in the waiting. That's what Advent is, knowing, eagerly, hoping Jesus will come again. I know he will, but in this moment, we wait. The key is expecting and hope marry together. The best way that I can describe this is in relationships and just in our life. I'll try my best to help you see it, but for those of you in the room who are in a relationship and a friendship, uh, who've been blessed to be married, there was a time where you started dating someone. And 
I'm talking about the person you're married to, by the way. There was a time when you started dating them. And there was an eagerness, an anticipation. You said, okay, I don't know this person. You started to idealize. Um, who knows? You started to make things up in your mind. There's an eagerness, and you got to start dating more. And then you got engaged at some point. And there's an eagerness there, and it led up to a wedding. And now you're married, and all the eagerness is gone. <laughs> but you, you developed a relationship, and you were the eagerness. There was a hope, but he had to wait. Man, we got to do this the right way. We have to date. We have to be engaged. Same thing if you're a parent in the room, nine months of pregnancy. Same thing with new friendships. Same thing with a new job opportunity. Same thing with anything. It's job opportunity comes. We don't find out what right away. We wait. There's an expectancy. Advent in the same way. We hope. I put the job application in. I'm eagerly waiting. <laughs> Eagerness in Advent, waiting upon the return of Christ. It's tough to imagine that. Because what we've done is we've replaced eagerness with anxiety because of how broken we are. The problem with the pain of this world and the pain that we experience in Christmas is like things are not like they should be. That's true. We have to learn. We have to develop eagerness and hope. The truth is this, is that when anxiety gets redeemed, it becomes eagerness. There's a difference. Romans 8 says it this way, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons through redemption of our bodies. The fact is this. Life is hard now, it's painful now. Eagerness is a redeemed anxiety. Eagerly waiting with hope. And Christ will return. He absolutely will. There's no doubt about it. Revelation 5 talks about the lamb that came and was slain. In Revelation 5, there's this scene um, where John has, they've opened up a window. God's opened up a window for him to look into heaven and to look into last days. And there's this scene where all of the hosts of heaven, elders, some sort of heavenly spiritual elders, angels, everybody around, is they have this scroll, and the scroll really is the book of life. And it's this book of salvation. But nobody is able to open the scroll. There's no one worthy. It's the book. If we could just open the book up, then people will be saved. They'll be a part of heaven. They'll be here with us. But nobody can open the book up. No one's worthy. So they look around. John, who is the prophet there, is starting to weep. And he's wailing. He's, he's so upset because he's in the moment. He says, nobody can open the scroll. He starts to weep. And one of those heavenly elders comes over to him. He goes, stop weeping. There is one. 
the lamb that was slain. And John said, I looked and I saw a lamb as if he were slain. Could open the scroll. And then he looked again and the lamb had become the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then all of heaven and earth rejoiced because the one that was slain had become now the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb to the lion. He is a conquering king. What gave him the right to conquer was what he did as a lamb. Revelation 5 is beautiful. All of heaven now rejoices. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and power and might forever. Revelation 19, we see the lamb that was slain is now a lion. It's the same God, it's Jesus. It describes him this way in Revelation 19. It's, he's on a white horse, his eyes like a flame of fire. It says that his clothes, his robe had been dipped in blood. Christ the conqueror leading the hosts of heaven to come back and claim to judge and redeem and restore mankind. There are two arrivals of Christ. The first is this, a baby, humble and fragile, a lamb. The second, he will be a king, conquering and restoring. Advent is looking towards, and for those of you who are in Christ, this day should have no fear attached to it at all. Christ will return to restore God order to the earth and to the people that he has redeemed. Verse 28, he comes again not to deal with sin but to save those who eagerly wait for him. If you are in Christ, I don't care if you feel it today or not. I don't care if you doubt or not. I don't care what your perspective is on your own imperfect faith. It doesn't matter. If you have trusted Jesus, if you keep saying, I, I know I don't do this well but I'm continuing to trust Jesus with my life, your sin is dealt with. He's coming again not to deal with sin. That's a done deal. Listen to me. I know it's hard to imagine. It's hard for me. I'm a pastor. We doubt. We struggle. I am not sinless. There are times when I think, am I growing at all? Am I different at all? But if you are in Christ, you can bank on the fact that he is not coming again to deal with your sin. You are forever in him. It wasn't up to you to deal with it in the first place. It's not going to be up to, to you to deal with it then. Jesus deals with it and has dealt with it. The cross is a one-time thing. Your salvation is a one-time thing. He's coming again, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. For the Christian, it's the best news of all time. We look forward to that day. For the not-Christian, it's not good news. It's not. Whether you believe or not, it's not gonna change the fact that there is one king and that he will come again to judge and restore. The Bible describes people in two ways, enemies of God and family of God. Everyone starts out the same as an enemy of God. There's no exception Nobody's more privileged than the other. We all start out the same, me included. Through Christ and by the prompting, the power of the Holy Spirit, enemies become friends and become family when God saves them. 
The plan all along, man, the plan all along for Jesus has been to restore us, to redeem us. And not just us, but also to redeem this planet. When he comes again, up to Isaiah 65 says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. He's going to restore us, those who are in him. He's going to restore this place and the heavens. It's a great day for the Christian, not to deal with sin, to save those who eagerly wait for him. Again, it's not a day of shame or fear, which is what I grew up thinking about that day. Scared to death. I used to pray every night, God, forgive me for my sins. This one, this one, this one, this one, this would be about an hour and a half long prayer. This one, this one, this one, this one, just list them all out that I could think of. And then I would pray, if there's any sin that I missed, like I'm talking to, like God has my memory, you know, like he's as fragile as I am. If there's all the things I, forgive me for those, and if there's any one that I missed, forgive me for those two. And then when I go to sleep tonight and I accidentally sin in my sleep, forgive me for that. And if you come back, if you happen to come back, would you please do me a courtesy of forgiving all my sins exactly before you come back? That way I know for a fact I'll be ready for your return. It's not that way at all, man. You talk about fear as a child, my goodness. I thought losing your salvation was like losing the keys to your car. You just lose it. I'm not here to argue about preservation of the saints today. That's not what I'm here to argue. I'm just here to say, if God has saved you, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him, then you can bank on the fact that when he comes back, it is gonna be a wonderful day for you. Ephesians 2 says it this way, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, that's eternity, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is salvation for eternity. God is not impulsive like we are. He doesn't change his mind. Not just in case you're able to figure out the puzzle to keep your salvation. It is a fact. If you belong to Jesus, have trusted him to save you, that day will be like no other. All things will be made right. Life will, for the first time, listen to this, all of life will, for the first time ever, make sense. Food will taste like it should. Life will make sense. Advent is, it's looking back it's centering ourselves around the cross. It's also looking forward to the coming of Jesus again. And all that informs the way that we live right now. Advent is living, actually living right now. 28B, but to save those who eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him. Um, we aren't great at being eager. We are great at anxiety, for sure. We're not great at being eager. We are terrible at waiting. I am impatient beyond belief. I want it now. 
I mean, and I mean that. I'm preaching to myself. You probably are the same way. I struggle to wait. That old saying, good things come to those who wait, is actually true. How many things come impulsively? That's why lottery tickets are like off the charts. (laughs) Sounds like a good idea. Doesn't really work out too much. It's good for us to wait. To eagerly wait for anything means anticipation, patience, focus, and joy. Christmas offers multiple opportunities for all those things, but per usual, what we do is we get them twisted up and they make us anxious instead of eager. Eagerness, again, is anxiousness when it's been redeemed. Being eager for the return of Christ changes our current anxiety and priorities. So imagine with me. If we all had the kind of eagerness in our view of Christ's return, what would it take for us to get there? What would it mean for the way that we live now if we were eager for Christ's return? If we had centered our lives on what he's done on the cross? It would take a few things for us to get there. We would have to know that we are saved and trust that he will save us. It would also take us believing that his return will be a glorious day and not a fearful one. And for life here and now, it would surely mean that we see our lives as something more than just, quote, trying to make it. It would surely mean that we see other people's lives as something more than just in the way or a means of anxiety to please everybody. Man, I love Christmas. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with presents. I can't even say that enough. I told the first service, I'm telling you guys, I will take any and all amounts of gifts. I'm ready. Anybody here, I'll take it. I love presents. There's nothing wrong with gatherings, man. I love it. I love, I look at this. I love all of this. I love decorating. I love the pageantry of Christmas. I'm like all in on Christmas parades. I'm all in on all of the decorations. I like walking into a house that looks like Christmas just went in there and blew up. I love that. I'm all about it, me personally. But when we're able to set our mind on what God has done for us and what he promises he will do, it gives us an entirely different perspective and posture for how we live here and now and how we look at things like his incarnation. And especially the kind of anxiety that we carry with us. It helps us lay all of that down and go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is you and me and here and now and us looking toward and celebrating Jesus. That's what matters. That changes the way I look at my wallet. (laughs) Changes the way I look at my house. My house most of the time is just an escape. Just a place I can go, my sanctuary. I had a friend tell me one time, that should be your sanctuary. It changes the way I open my house to people, whether or not I do. Fleming Rutledge has been super helpful. Uh, She's a great commentator. She wrote a book on Advent. Anyway, she says this, the commercial Christmas music insists that it's the most wonderful time of the year. That one really stung. That's like one of my favorite songs. Nothing wrong with that song, by the way. And Starbucks invites everyone to feel the merry. But the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. 
And that Advent tension is where the church lives its life. Christmas now becomes not a season of impulse and people-pleasing. It becomes a season of joy and not being ruled by the anxiety and depression that is off the charts during this time of year. It's no wonder that when we look at Philippians 2, which says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's no wonder that when we see that phrase, when we see that scripture, those are the moments when we count others more significant than ourselves. Those are the moments, and we don't do it for feeling, but that is the moment when you go, I think this is how I'm supposed to live. You ever think about that? Peace and that sort of thing? You go, I feel like I'm, I feel truly human right now by outdoing somebody else and showing them honor. God designed us to be people that eagerly and patiently wait with hope. That's the season that we're in now. When we look back, and I'm just gonna invite you to do that, man, this Advent season. Center your life around the incarnation, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Recenter yourself. Let that fuel the way that you treat each other now. Look towards his return with hope, with joy. Be in the moment that you're in, and because of what he's done and what he will do, let it change the way you approach this whole holiday. Let's be people that eagerly wait with anticipation and are able to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. All right, let's stand together.